Welcome to Project VetCast's second episode, and thank you guys for tuning in. I want to give a special thanks to those who did check out the uh, first episode and those who reached out and gave me feedback. I'm going to be working on finding ways to incorporate that feedback into, into future episodes, so I really appreciate that. Um, if this is your first time listening, I am brand new to podcasting, so bear with me. But if there are any uh, advice, tips, or tricks, or anything you hear that uh, or you haven't heard that you want to hear, let me know. Um, you can email me at vetcast, sorry, project vetcast at fightingchanceapparel.com. Always happy uh, to get feedback. Always happy to hear how I could be doing better or if there's another topic I can cover. So in this episode, I'm going to be focusing on the transition from, you know, being a military member to becoming a veteran. So that transition. And then uh, I'll also be talking to Vet with a Mic. He's another podcaster. Great guy, former service member. Um, talking to him kind of about his story and and how he got to where he is. and. If you have not followed his podcast, he is available on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes. Um, he's available on platforms I've never heard of. So I'm sure if you have a podcasting platform, look up Bet with a Mic, give him a follow, listen to his stuff. He's a good guy. At the end of the episode, I will also be going over career opportunity for veterans. Um, you know, I hope each episode I'm able to give a different career and kind of a different idea of what's out there. So maybe. Somebody hasn't heard all the options and then they hear one, one episode. So without further ado, let's get this going. On a quick note, today is Veterans Day. So happy Veterans Day to all the vets out there. I um, I wanted to go briefly over the history of Veterans Day. I saw a post on Facebook that said Veterans Day signed into law on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And that was pretty cool. So it got me kind of thinking more of when was Veterans Day started. Um, and it's got a pretty interesting history. I'm uh, reading the article off of military.com, History of Veterans Day. It says Veterans Day was formerly known as Armistice Day, which was originally set as a U.S. holiday to honor the end of World War I, which officially took place on November 11th, 1918. Um, it was dedicated to the cause of world peace and to be hereafter celebrated and known as Armistice Day. Now, in 1954, after having been through both World War II and the Korean War, the 83rd U.S. Congress, at the urging of the Veteran Service Organizations, amended the Act of 1938 by striking out the word armistice and inserting the word veterans. Sounds to me like they realized world peace was not necessarily going to happen because they went through World War II and a Korean War. So let's appreciate the vets. Um, 1968, they... Uh, Uniforms Holiday Bill ensured three-day weekends for federal employees by celebrating four national holidays on Mondays, Veterans Day being one of them. And under the bill, Veterans Day was moved to the fourth Monday of October. Um, in 19, and finally, in September 20th, 1975, President Gerald R. Ford signed into law, which returned the annual observance of Veterans Day to its original date of November 11th, beginning in 1978. So since 1978, we have been appreciating veterans on the same day every year. With that being said, Veterans Day, at least for me, is a day of reflection. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of vets. Um, so to all the veterans out there, look out for your brothers and sisters, because um, today might be a really rough day. You know, you, you start to reflect on what qualifies me as a vet, and you think about uh, your time in service. And... 
I know we all started out at the same place, you know, whether you were enlisted or officer, we all started out at uh, some kind of primary school, whether it was boot camp or OTS, OCS, um, basic, whatever, whatever your school was called, you moved on to a secondary school. And then from there, you kind of branched out. So um, everybody's got their own unique, individual, different experience while still being a part of one big cohesive unit, or maybe it wasn't cohesive, who knows. Um, so to all the veterans out there, Watch out for your brothers and sisters. Uh, this day and even this week could be rough. Um, I know when I look back at my experience and what qualifies me to be a veteran, um, I joined the Navy in 2012. And I left my home state of Georgia to go to uh, Navy boot camp in Chicago, Illinois, or Great Lakes. And as us Navy people like to joke, great mistakes. So um, with that, it was two months, what seemed like an eternity to me, but I can't complain because I know the Marines go through three months of uh, basic or boot, uh, boot camp. So there's that. But then I went from Great Lakes out to San Antonio, Texas, um, you know, still kind of new, still kind of that brand new sailor mentality. I know my uh, my family has jokes about me when I got um, to enjoy some liberty. So there's that. But um you got to great, or I got to uh, San Antonio to Lackland Air Force Base to start MAA school and um, did two months out there before I went to my first duty station of Sigonella, Sicily, where I met some awesome people. I got to see some uh, great sites. Europe is a, a different place to be, and I highly encourage anybody who hasn't been to Europe to, to travel there because it's a a different place. You, you get a different perspective of what freedoms we have in the U S and, um, I'll probably do another episode about serving over in Sigonella and what serving overseas, uh, was like for me, at least serving in Europe. Um, but then I did, uh, did my time out in SIG. I got sent to Naval station Norfolk where I did, uh, almost another four years. And then, um, Naval Station Norfolk's where I decided to get out. Um, I couldn't, I, I personally did it for uh, control over my own life because, you know, I was trying to work stuff out with the detailer and how many times did I want to have to call the detailer and things not work out. So when things didn't work out for me a second time, um, I was ready. I, I did not want to keep doing the same thing. And it was affecting my mental health, what I was, you know, doing. 240 to 280 hours every month um, was rough. It was mentally hard to stand a gate and to follow stringent orders and to just do that all the time. Um, and there were good moments, of course. There were uh, different schedules. There were uh, good people. Um, it just takes a toll. I was watching, uh, I watched people's marriages fall apart. And that's not what I wanted to be a part of. But again, part of Veterans Day reflecting, um, I'm grateful for the, you know, making the decision to separate. Um, it was daunting. It was difficult. It was unknown. And to for everything I've known so far in the military, there was always somebody there to tell me something. There was always somebody there to point me in the right direction. Um, that you don't necessarily get that when you go get out of the military and become a veteran. I mean, depending on if you move 
with your move in with your family or you move in a, commu a community you already know that's slightly different but um if you are a service member thinking about transitioning um in my experience you're on your own this is the point where you start to be by yourself and have to figure everything out i did and to similar to other mas that i've spoke with that was a that was the uh, case is that you had somebody kind of telling them what to do and you know i would talk to uh if you're in the military you have a transition specialist you have somebody in the reserves who wants to recruit you um and they will help you with the transition process you can talk to them as soon as a year out at least for the navy i don't know how every other branch works um i've heard the marines give you some code uh, a code after you get out which makes it harder for you to get back in don't know if that's true don't quote me but um yeah per the navy people I know for sure you can go reserves as early as a year out, but I would highly encourage it because if you don't know, if you want to get back in reserves is a way to go. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It, um, I get to pick my own orders if I go on orders and it's, uh, it's a good experience. You know, I was able to finish my degree, something that being an MA wasn't helping me with because, you know, I was told my college, um, degree, didn't belong on my eval. It was uh, collaboration. It was evals and it was performance on the job. That's all that really mattered. And that's the triangle that I had to leave. Um, so with that being said, getting out is rough. Um, I was out for two months. Couldn't find a job. COVID was crazy. I got out in 2020 and um, man, it was rough. It, I couldn't find a job. I was trying to start finding chance apparel. Um, when I did find a job, it was in Target trying to sell AT&T phones. And I really wanted to quit that job really badly. You know, I made a joke in the military before I got out saying, I'm going to get a joke. I'm going to get a job. And then uh, I'm just going to quit one day just to do it because I couldn't do it in the military. And sure enough, I mean, you know, the, the people I worked with were interesting. Um, it was an interesting headspace to be into i guess you could put it in a nice way but uh yeah sure enough when i found a better opportunity i was i was gone sent him a text and left it at that um but getting out of the military is pretty rough have a plan try and get everything set up in advance so you can kind of just breeze through because it's gonna it's gonna um things are gonna happen so quickly that before you know it you're out of the military and what you've known for so long is gone if you're a veteran and you've had a successful transition out of the military um, where you didn't find that the process to transition out was difficult, um, reach out at projectvetcast at findingchanceapparel.com and I'd like to hear how your experience went. Maybe we can um, help other transitioning service members. Something I'm, I'm seeing on social media is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll either see vets post, I wish I never got out or I'd give anything to get back in. I also see veterans post um, what they miss the most about their time in service. And if you are a veteran that's struggling with the transition into, you know, veteran or civilian life, uh, or you're a transitioning military member, figure out what it was about your, your service that you missed, that you, you know, you, you, you could have enjoyed the thrill of jumping out of planes when you were um, airborne or, you know, you could have enjoyed shooting guns in, in your MOS. 
or whatever it is, find a way to bring that into your civilian life. So if you like jumping out of planes, there's tons of skydiving um, opportunities there out there in the world. You just have to find them. Um, I know there's even an indoor skydiving place you can go to and enjoy too. So I think it's called iFly. Um, but you know, if you enjoy shooting guns, um, you can go to the range, shoot, you know, practice shooting guns, uh, qualify or not necessarily qualify, but shoot different guns, um, that maybe you weren't able to shoot before, find out how you can get involved at the range or how you can show other people the joy you get from using a gun or whatever it is that you use. Um, but whatever you do, whatever you end up um, missing, just find a way to implement that into your lifestyle now. And maybe that way you can make it to where, you know, the military was a great memory, but no, I don't so much miss the service or no, I really don't wish I was back in. It's just certain aspects of it. Now here in a second, we are going to transition over to the in, uh, the interview I had with Vet with a mic. Again, great guy. Um, he's going to go over his experience separating and um, tell us a little bit about where he's at now. All right. Hey, guys. So we've got Vet with a mic right here. Um, go ahead and... Uh, yeah, right. Go ahead and tell him uh, how this all happened. How... Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, whenever you start a podcast... Yeah. You're just trying to really just take swings in the dark a little bit, you know? So uh, I had had a long period of time away from Facebook and um, I said, all right, well, I guess with the podcast, I better do a new Facebook. I got to go back. I've been gone since like 2016. Oh, wow. uh, so I had just uh, created a new, uh, a new uh, Facebook and, you know, I'd kind of get a little cheeky with it and just called it, you know, veteran microphone because they wouldn't let me use any other name because <laughs> Facebook is their, their, uh, rigid rules. But I, so I just had randomly started adding people, you know, that I had some connection to yeah. and your name came up. And so I'd added you. And of course you, you said, like, who is this random guy? <laughs> this random profile. It's, it's probably a Russian bot trying to message me and right. Okay. It's Facebook. <laughs> Right. So I, uh, so of course you asked me who the hell am I? And <laughs> I, I told you like, oh, well, you know, we have some common friends and, you know, maybe we were in the same place at some point, my time in the uniform mm -hmm. turns out actually. Yeah. Same exact place. Yep. Like at the same time even. Yep. And we just didn't know each other, which is a, Wonderful little symmetry of the universe. <laughs> and and then after you and I started conversing, it was like, oh my, not only are me and this guy, we did the same job at the same place, but now here we are trying to do the same job at a different place. So doing yep. the whole podcasting thing. So of course we exchanged numbers and started rapping about, you know, different joint ventures that we might be able to, to go into the future with. Yeah, I was I was thinking uh, it, it's so bizarre that you you were in you worked the same days that I did. We were just different shifts for the longest time. <laughs> yeah, so it was that close. 
Yeah, no, it, it was. And who knows, we probably relieved each other at some point, but you know how probably. it is coming on shift and off shift. You're like, it's not, <laughs> this is not the time you really interact with anybody. Cool, man. You know, I turned yeah, in my gear. Right, yeah, you had it. I got it. Whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then like you just, you hit the, the nail on the head, how we can, how two people who are so close and maybe not have like known each other or talked to each other much. Now we're hitting the same, we're headed towards the same thing again. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, we are getting there from different paths, obviously. Yeah, uh, well, I, yeah I was going to say, uh, my life after the uniform probably looked yeah. a little different than yours, but uh, not Tell too much. About. Yeah. Um, so after I got, I got out in like 2013, and I, man, my first year was rough. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I just had no purpose. I didn't know where I was going. I felt like my wheels were, were spinning. I... I moved to a city that I didn't really know a lot of people. Um, so I really felt just completely isolated. And to be honest with you, kind of alone. Um, even yeah. though I, I was, uh, I had moved in with family because uh, at least I had that. Some guys don't have that. Some guys or gals, they, they end up in some pretty dire straits. But I remember just feeling completely disconnected from everybody. Um my worldview had just shifted so much after the uniform. There was nothing that I could really find relatable to um, the majority of Americans' experiences. And so I did the one thing that I pretty much always do. I, I just kept going to the gym. And I ran into people who were prior service at the gym. And that's I just started talking to them. And that's what really made me kind of feel connected again to people yeah. because we had shared experiences or at least something that was similar. We understood what it was like to, you know, kind of, well, I don't know, be an alien in the, in the American culture. Yeah. Cause that's what it's kind of like that we're, we're cultural outsiders as, as military members or, or veterans. We just have had so many different experiences that the rest of the country really can't even relate to. Like that's, I was making the joke earlier, whenever I was talking to a former Marine, um, I said, you know, most of the people I like went to high school with being from a small town in East Tennessee, they were like going to Panama city beach. And that's what, that's their frame of reference for a vacation. And I'm going, I've been to Terramina. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've been to a beautiful Sicilian beach, you know? So it's hard for me to really get excited <laughs> about Panama city beach after that. You know, not that not that Panama City Beach ain't awesome. Woo woo. Right? Well, but, you know, it's funny. I get that reference because I'm from Georgia and that's where we go to that's where people go to vacation as well. Uh it is where all poor white people from the <laughs> South go, go to vacation. <laughs> it is it is uh it's a it's a pretty big fixture. It's like that in Gatlinburg. Like yeah. that's you go you go to Panama City Beach in the summertime and then you go to Gatlinburg in winter. Like that's yep. That's what you do. At least if you're from Appalachia, I don't know. If, I don't know if you're. No, from that's, that's scarily uh, accurate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you know, so it was just weird. Um, Cause you know, my worldview had just shifted so much, you know, you, cause you went through a similar path. I went from small town, East Tennessee to the Chicago area for basic. Mm -hmm. And then from that to San Antonio mm -hmm. from San Antonio. Then I went on to San Diego for, what we called I stop training for mobile security. Gotcha. And then from there, I, I went over to um, Bahrain for uh, mobile security over there. And 
I saw probably at least 10 countries within my first year. That's me ballparking it. It could have been oh, really? more. Yeah. I mean, that's the way mobile was. The op tempo was you were in Africa at one, like yeah. one, one day you're in Europe the next You're Now you're in Diego Garcia in the middle of the Indian ocean. You're just, yeah. you're popping all over. Um, so those experiences really shaped who I was, but it also made me feel completely disconnected from the rest of the American population whenever I, I separated. And, what, and yeah, why was ahead. that? Well, like I said, the, the worldview differences are just so stark. Uh, just, uh, okay. So I'll take it. I'll put it to you this way. Yeah. I was in Djibouti, Africa. Okay. And I don't know if you know anything about Eastern Africa generally, but Djibouti specifically is a pretty poor place. Mm-hmm. And, I had, we were getting on to a, a mission from Djibouti. And so there's uh, an American base there and they have this 24 hour a day, like sandwich bar on base. And so I had gotten like a couple of sandwiches with me uh, and I was taking them on to the mission with me. And like it, this, you know, and it was one of those like styrofoam little car- carriers Oh and, yeah, in 120 degrees eventually these sandwiches start to become more trouble than they're worth. <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, I, this is just too much. This is like a chore at this point. Um, and so I had motioned over to uh, one of the dock workers and I gave them the, uh, the box of sandwiches and he opened it up and his eyes just, they got as big as a saucer, you know? Really? And he did something that I never would have thought ever. What's that? He motioned over like six other guys and they took these two relatively meager sandwiches and they divided them between the seven of them. Wow. Yeah, man, it was humbling. I, I just thought we have so much in America. Yeah. And these, these guys, that was, that made their day. They were just so grateful for this little bit of food that I gave them. They were, I mean, they just, thank you, sir. Thank you. And they, they tore up the bread. They tore up the meat that everybody got some. Yeah. And it's just, you think about the antithesis of that and you try to give a, a homeless person uh, a sandwich in the United States and you often don't get that kind of response, but it was really humbling for me. I, I understood that no matter, no matter how, poor i felt i was growing up it's nothing compared to the global level at all yeah and so it's really hard um coming back from that and then hearing people's experiences about what they think their struggles are yeah because you see your frame of reference has permanently been shifted i actually talk about this in one of the episodes right in the middle of my leave from the desert we had this like otep leave yeah and I was walking through a, a grocery store, you know, in East Tennessee, and there was just like 42 different kinds of ranches, ranch dressings. And I just thought, man, yeah. what do you even do with that? <laughs> I, it was, I was overwhelmed by it, just how much stuff we have, how many options we have. And I thought about my brothers and sisters that were over there, you know, in the uniform. They were lucky if they got like two 
like wishbone and craft like that was yeah. it like not we never had the good stuff hidden valley we never had <laughs> the good stuff right <laughs> but yeah it was just those kind of experiences um left conversations with civilians a little lacking yeah so i felt really kind of disconnected from them even people i'd known my whole life family members even my uh yeah no just the different i i can totally relate to that because like there were uh old greg is a film that came out uh while i was in Siganella, and my family was like have you seen this and i was just staring at it like why is this funny to you guys this is this mm. is really weird i've never heard of it <laughs> like well, it must it, it's because i was overseas at the same time that's the reason why yeah um or like my my mom taught myself and my grandma at the same time how to use chromecast i felt outdated um, but so after going through this experience, um, and feeling alone, how did you, how did you maneuver to what, what was next? So after I kind of floundered for about a year, um, yeah. I just had went, I got to do something, you know, I thought law enforcement was the, the next progression for me, but I didn't really like being an MA. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I, you know, so I really thought that that might have been a mistake for me to continue on. And I had interviewed for um, a sheriff's office, you know, here in the local area, but I ended up turning it down, um, because I just, I didn't really feel like that's where I needed to be. And so I went back to school. Um, nice. yeah. And I, and I had went, uh, kind of just gravitated towards psychology as a, as a bachelor's. Um, I, I just enjoyed the, the theoretical background and the subject matter. Um, and then of course you can't do anything in psychology with a bachelor's degree. I don't know if you know that uh, it is. <laughs> there's lots of bartenders that probably have psychology degrees. Probably I actually didn't know that. So, Oh yeah, it is uh, all States have at least a master's standard for you to do anything in the field um, because you know it's just a competence issue they want you to be trained to a, a minimum standard but if you're uh, if you're a student out there thinking about psychology for a bachelor here's your sign well yeah no unless you're willing to take it really seriously and you know have high grades and and apply to graduate school which is what i did yeah. um which it was weird you know coming in um from the uniform I just found college a lot easier than I remember school being. <laughs> it was just imagine like, I think the hardest part for me, you know, when I tried to go to college the first time was, uh, <laughs> it, you know, I, I just couldn't get right. I couldn't stay on a schedule. You know, it was hard for me to stay motivated enough, but come to find out that in college, just being where you're supposed to be like the military treats you, yep. um, is kind of really beneficial. Just go to class. <laughs> Imagine if you just go to class, you know, the material for the yep. tests. Um, so I found that that kind of conscientiousness that the military kind of ingrained into me really just mapped directly over into academia. And I, so I, I thrived there. I enjoyed a lot of the courses that I was taking. And, and so in graduate school, it was like, even more of the stuff that I love. So, oh, nice. Um, yeah. Imagine good thing for that. <laughs> good thing that whole deal <laughs> worked out. Yeah. Um, 
So that's that was what I did in the nutshell. Um, I talk a little bit about this in one of the episodes, but I did not want to work with veterans. Didn't really? want to work with military. Didn't want to. No, I know how we are. I know. Well, I know our culture. And um, since you and I were in the same location at once, um, you and I, well, obviously we're not going to talk about any names of people, but there was a gentleman that I knew yeah, who was in E3, who was having trouble adjusting, being away from home, and they asked if they could go talk to somebody, mm-hmm. and they put them on the download list. They like separated them from the rest of the, the group and put them like, so sorting mail and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and that just has a chilling effect that just resonates across the whole, the whole breaks. Yeah. Like don't talk about your problems. And if you do, we'll take care of you by separating you and isolating you from everybody else that you love and care about. Yeah. Which is already what you feel like being stationed overseas. But yeah, um, so I had kind of came into it with that position of I know nobody wants to talk about anything because there's been reprisal uh, and it's not safe to talk about stuff. And those wounds run deep. Oh, yeah. But I, in my own process, I, I sought care at the VA. And during that process, I came across Let's just say a um, it was not a good fit, the two, mm-hmm. this person and I, for as far as a therapeutic alliance goes. Really? Yeah. It was, um, there was, they didn't understand our culture. They didn't understand where we come from. Yeah. And somebody who doesn't understand the military experience can really do a lot of harm in undermining trust Yeah, in the process. And that's kind of what happened. Um, I remember I had said something, you know, I used profanity, <laughs> like, which is pretty common for Typical. all of us, but yeah. I had really just used it a third person, like after the fact. And the person took it personal and said that it felt directed at them. And this was, now this was not an angry moment. I just said, I don't want to this way anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. You know, it wasn't a, it was just a declaration of I'm tired of fighting. Yeah. (laughs) I'm tired of being in the position that I'm in right now. I need help. And she took it the opposite way. Um, And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't direct. I wasn't going like you I'm tired of feeling this way, you know? And so I took it as, man, you really don't get me and you can't help me. Yeah. And I, I stood up and I I walked out. Um, and then because I had just kind of ripped the bandaid off, so to speak. Yeah. I, I went, Oh man, I know guys who have attempted and I put myself, what if it was them right now? What would that have done to them? Yeah. What what harm would that have done in their life? They would have just said, the hell with it. I'm never going back. And so I, I did, I said something, you know, I, I, 
I went and talked to somebody else that was over at the VA and I'll be honest with you, they were really responsive. They called me up and, and talking to me, obviously they got the impression that I wasn't just like a, you know, an unhinged veteran, like just, you know, going off on somebody. It was, no, it hurt my feelings. I was, I felt really vulnerable. And then this person judged me because of the word, a word I used that, and and so that just totally shifted my trajectory completely. I I couldn't unsee that. I knew that it's an excuse for me to not go into the fray and work with our population. It's an excuse. Yeah. So what that it's hard? Who else is going to do it? Exactly. Because I understand what it's like to live in the uniform. Mm-hmm. And from that point, the the strategy became a little different. Okay. I knew that I couldn't spend one hour by one hour in a therapy session with veterans. That just there's too many of us. There's not enough time. So I thought, okay, what can I do that can disseminate as much information to people as possible as quickly as possible? And so I, I, I looked into the research thing like producing research that maybe other providers can utilize for their own um, therapeutic services. I I've looked into doing consultation work with other like mental health professionals and coming in and communicating to them exactly the veteran experience and yeah. how to, how to communicate with their clients who are veterans in ways that will just kind of facilitate the process. So you don't yeah. get stuck in the mud, so to speak, with cultural issues that you don't understand. So that's where I've, I've been, um, you know, vet with a mic kind of was a progression out of that too. I, as I was talking to buddies of mine um, and people that uh, I would come across in my professional life, I heard a lot of the same questions over and over again about issues related to stigma. Mm-hmm. Issues related with, you know, being dissatisfied with the VA healthcare system. And I thought, well, if I can just demystify the process a little bit, you know, because there's so much mystery surrounding mental health. Yeah. Like, there's so much uh, tension where there really doesn't have to be because nobody wants to talk about things that make them feel vulnerable. Yeah. But as soon as you, this is a lot of times what we talk about the, the why it's so important to get a diagnosis is you can be suffering with something. You can be really having a lot of negative things happen in your life, but you have no idea what to call that thing. And so you feel like, man, I'm alone just with this problem that I have. And I'm the only person that, that is dealing with this. But as soon as you go to service, as soon as you receive mental health services, they tell you what that is. And they go, and a person can go, oh, so that's a thing. I, I have I have a thing. And not only do I have a thing, this is what other people have. And this is how this is how common this diagnosis actually is. It really takes the tension out of things. Yeah. No, you put it in a completely different perspective that way. 
Well, yeah. I mean, as soon as you know, and you're like, wait, now there's a thing that, and I can be a part of a community too. There's PTSD awareness or there's, you know, autism uh, awareness. As soon as people have a shift of understanding that they're not alone, even within their own problem, things start to change. And largely that's what I was trying to do here with vet with the mic is let's talk about these things that we're all experiencing so that, you know, you're not just the only one experiencing it. I felt that way. You feel that way. And it kind of organically evolved because as I was kind of doing more academic work, I would read things about veteran issues. Yeah. And I'd go, man, that was me. My first like six months. Like, <laughs> that, that was really how I felt, man. Like, uh, <laughs> and in it, so it started to put some things in perspective. And I said, well, look, here's me. Like I've been, you know, in the academic setting for, you know, seven years now or pretty close to it. Uh, and if I don't know that, man, there's no way that like a lot of my buddies out there that have served, um, in the uniform that they, they, they have to be equally as clueless about it. Yeah. So I thought, well, let's see if I can't approach from not only talk to the providers, but let's see if I can also talk to, to the people who are the service seekers too. Yeah. Um, and that's where vet with a mic really came from. It's just me with a mic <laughs> rattling off stuff that I feel like is, is uh, significant in my life. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like from a person with very little, you know, psychology or uh, clinical psychology, any any of that background. I mean, it sounds like you're able to take um, just the the jargon and the lingo that that somebody like me may not understand or may not have the time to look up, and you're able to translate it and make yeah. it so much easier because you have that experience that we have. And man, there is so much jargon. Oh, man, it, you're. <laughs> Your head can spin. Um, oh. Yeah, you're right. Uh, what I wanted to try to do is take these rather complicated concepts and just kind of break them apart into um, relatable experiences for people, so that they don't have to look at this from the ten thousand foot level. You know, say, hey, look, this is a street level version yeah. of what's going on in your life, and there's a reason for that, and here's the reason why. You know, potentially, I don't offer, I don't come up with any kind of professional advice this is just anecdotes largely or me talking about the relevant clinical literature that's out there in ways that is fit for consumption (laughs) instead of you don't have to read all the psychological literature of the you know the journals i have done that and i'm trying to just disseminate the the wheat from the chaff so to speak i think that's really important just because a veteran with an issue is not going to have the time. I mean, just one look and they're going to be like, yeah, I don't have time for this, but you going through and doing that. I mean, you have, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of reach just through that and being able to tell people, Oh, Hey, yeah, this is what this is. Here you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, just reading something in the psychological literature, it's rough, man. (laughs) There's citations that they, that you use. And like, so like you'll have to break up in the middle of a sentence to give whoever the author was for that premise credit. And so it took me a long time just to get used to being able to read through some of that. Cause it'd be like, and this concept of ja 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 was, and then like, you'd have this like parentheses or this, uh, yeah, some, some annotation for, 
you know, Smith and Smith, 1999. Like it's really hard to read through that. And, <laughs> and of course it's already, they use a lot of vast vocabulary words that you and I just don't really have access to <laughs> well, all those highbrow Ivy leaguers. Yeah. Makes me feel a lot better myself knowing that somebody with the education and sits there at the literature and sometimes goes, uh, Oh yeah, man. Especially, uh, there's, there's so much, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Dunning Kruger effect, right? Okay. Are, are you familiar? No, not really. Explain. So here it is here. It's a psychological thing. So here it is in a nutshell, right? Okay. People who are better at a skill are hyper aware of okay. the limitations of their skill. Okay. Like if you're really good, at, let's say I, I'm, I play guitar. I don't know if anybody can see. I, I'm not really good. I'm, I'm terrible at it, actually. But the more proficient you are in it, the more aware you are of how little you know or how, how <laughs> you're the, the limits of your capacity, so to speak. Yeah. But the opposite of that is also true. People who are less skilled yeah. in a particular arena overestimate how, their knowledge yeah and how how good they are in something so Did you learned that uh effect in school uh yeah and it's it, you know this, <laughs> there's a it's been passed around across uh, across different media too but no that is that is the truth if you're ever in doubt of something it's probably because you're good at it or at least you understand your limits a lot better it's always and it's something about photography i don't know why but like people who have serious limitations with the field of photography. When you talk to them though, they act like yeah. they've been doing it like that, that they're just so great. And the transformative art, which I, I don't, I'm not trying to hate on anybody. It's just, that's, it's a stereotype for people yeah. who are her photography uh, gurus. And they're like only been doing it for like six months, but somehow they've <laughs> figured out all the techniques and they've mastered everything. Yeah. Secrets of the universe. Yeah, they, they've got it all. They've got the big book of everything that they can, <laughs> can sort through. Well, yeah. so we've talked about so far um, service in the military, getting out, and your point up to now you've got Vet with a Mic. What are yeah. what are some of your goals for Vet with a Mic? Man, uh, so that's, a, that's an evolving question for oh, me. Yeah. Um, so eventually – this vet with a mic is supposed to be a flagship for a nonprofit that, that I would like to see come to fruition. Okay. Um, Cause what I saw was there's the VA is kind of left a gap, but from the consumer to the provider. And I'm attempting to, to try to provide a little, a little space meeting that provider to the consumer. Like I said, just kind of demystifying it, yeah. letting them know that it's not as threatening as it as it may appear, and that the Hollywood portrayals are not accurate at all. Don't don't get lost in in the 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 representations that are out there in TV and film. Yeah. Um. So I thought if I could provide resources to help people navigate their own care, that just to inform them, provide a little psychoeducation, if you will, about okay. these are the things that are out there. This is what that thing is called that you're feeling. Yeah. Um, and it just to lower the tension. And that's what um, the next 
evolution of Vet with a Mic will be. It'll just be a one-stop resource center for people to understand the issues that surround mental health in the uniform for spouses and for Mm -hmm. family members and for people who serve because we all suffer this thing together, this thing of ours, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Sicilian. Right. Uh, Because yeah, that's the thing. I talk to a lot of spouses um, about ways to help their, their prior military spouse. Yeah. They, they could help me describe what I need to describe to a doctor or help me say what I need to say to my husband or my wife so that they will go get treatment because we're dying on the vine here. There's just, we're, we're just spinning our wheels and I don't know how to articulate what he needs or what I need. And I just, I want to, I want us to form a community that the stigma of mental health is kind of dissipates from and that we can many hands from my make for light work. We can all kind of band together and yeah. reconnect with our social support and, you know, really ingrain ourselves in the veteran identity after life with the uniform. Yeah. So that's, like I said, it's pretty lofty. It's, yeah. it's ambitious. Um, but I think it just starts in one community at a time, just providing an opportunity to connect with each other. Um, and then that, may just spread spider to other communities, but yeah. So that's talk- ultimately. I'm sorry. You talked about, um, and bringing the community together. Are there any organizations, um, that are, you know, that you reached out to or that are, that you'd like to recognize? And I mean, we talked about how, you know, there was, a, we mentioned earlier, there was a disconnect. So yeah. This is pretty new. Right. Well, so there are tons of organizations out there that um, offer some sort of support, even if it's just awareness, which awareness is kind of just the first step. It's not just acknowledging that there's a problem doesn't really move you past how to deal with the problem, just acknowledging it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff. And honestly, the VA does more than people realize. And this is something that I recently just, um, have kind of found out about, which, uh, I take it on good, uh, faith. And this person is relatively, uh, knowledgeable within the area, Okay, but the VA actually operates on like a head count rule. Okay. So the more people that they have that utilize the VA facilities, the more resources they get allocated to it. Huh? Yeah. Right. So I think about that for a second. That's how many people avoid the VA, like the plague, it actually ends up making it become like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you're saying we should flood the VA. I'm saying we should, take advantage of the resources that are there available to you. Okay. To interact with the VA and to help change the impression that the VA has, because as I talked about in one of the episodes, the VA is a system. It's made up of people. People have good days. They have bad days. Some people are good at their job. Some people are bad at their job. And 
if you have a negative interaction with somebody like I did, like I just talked about that story. Yeah. It's easy to say, mm, that's all, they're all that way. Yeah. But the next doctor I had for at the VA was awesome. She was a former Marine and was great. And the doctor I had after, after her, great. I, so if you look at the three providers that I had during that time period, Two were good. One was bad. Yeah. You know, you but had an overall success rate. Overall yeah. It, good time. So you have to utilize the resources that are, that are available to you. And sometimes we get so caught up on the things we hear in our culture and our mm -hmm. community that we trust other veterans so much that we don't verify what they're saying or yeah. find out what the experience is actually for ourselves. We just hear about something and it confirms a bias that we have. Yep. That's what I know. Even though I've never been over there myself, that's it. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties with that audio file. So the interview got cut short. Um, if you do want to go check out the full interview though, I'm going to be loading the video that we took up to uh, YouTube, up to project Vetcast YouTube channel. So be sure to check it out next week. That with the mic, I really appreciate you doing that interview. It was uh, it was awesome getting to talk to you about what your you know your goals and aspirations are about your story. Um, you're a great dude. You got some big dreams and great aspirations. Keep it up, man. You're gonna go far. I know I said this uh, at the end of the episode I'd be going over a career option, but unfortunately my plans changed up quite a bit this week and I wasn't able to get to that. However. I will be putting more content into next episode next Saturday at 12. So either you'll get two different careers and I'll have more content or you'll, uh, you'll get a uh, career and how to negotiate your way into, um, into the different industries from veterans that have been in those industries. So without further ado, I'm going to let you guys go. If you have any questions, any concerns, you just want to talk, you can always email me at project vetcast at fightingchanceapparel.com. And if you are a veteran, I'm your brother, and I got your back.